Welcome to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. Each week we talk about heart rate variability and how it can be used to improve your overall health and wellness. Please consider the information in this podcast for your informational use and not medical advice. Please see your medical provider to apply any of the strategies outlined in this episode. Heart Rate Variability Podcast is a production of Optimal LLC and Optimal HRV. Check us out at OptimalHRV.com. Please enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. I am Matt Bennett. I am back here with my good friend, Dr. Scotty Butcher today. Scotty, how are you doing? I am doing super awesome on a Monday that we're recording this, Matt. How about you, man? Hey, I, I can't complain, my friend. So I realized that uh, some of the folks who uh, may have listened, not listened to past podcasts, but are picking this up recently, might not have heard the past episode uh, with Scotty. But we talked a lot about Scotty's expertise on the physical health side. Uh, we went into biofeedback and other things as well. Um, and then uh, about a couple weeks ago, uh, Scotty sent me this uh he called it a brochure. I, I I returned it as more of a manifesto uh, about uh, this program he is developing or has developed around uh, anxiety. And I, I just had to have Scotty back on the show uh, to talk about what he's doing because uh, I, I realized, hey, we didn't even, we didn't do nearly the justice on this end of your expertise. So Scotty, just in case people didn't catch the previous episode, just a quick introduction of yourself. And then I can't wait to jump into the Stoic Tiger uh, uh, program that you've developed. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much, Matt. I, I really, I appreciate you and appreciate the opportunity to come on to, to, uh, to this podcast. And as you know, I'm a uh, a wide advocate for your work and uh, the optimal HRV app is is central to my program. So um, yeah, I I'm uh, I've got I guess I wear a number of hats and one that I've just recently gotten rid of. Interestingly, I I used to be a university professor. Um, it used to be as of uh, you know a couple of weeks ago. So I uh, yeah I. I taught physical therapy for 16 years. I've been a physiotherapist for 25. Um, I have done lots of coaching with varying, in varying ways and, and probably most significantly to our conversation. I've had anxiety in varying forms uh, across my, basically my entire adult life. Um, and, uh, you know, everything from uh, some bouts with social anxiety. I've had panic disorder, um, lots of panic attacks here and there. Um, generalized anxiety disorder, you know, anything anywhere from moderate to severe, depending on life circumstances. And, you know, what what uh, what is sort of, I, I think, a newer term, the high functioning anxiety, which is where I do a lot of my uh, my coaching on um, as, as you know, as we've talked about, I'm not a, I'm not a mental health therapist. Um, I am a coach and, and, um, as, as part of this, what this means is that, um, I do a lot of work on trying to work with individuals on a very close basis to help them through their challenges that they're having with anxiety and not that that can't be therapy and that the therapist mm -hmm. can't do that but uh, i look at this as a much more comprehensive you know i'm i'm helping you day to day to day to day with lots of different activities that keep you active and um in terms of building your mental resilience and we've talked in the past about physical resilience yeah 
mental res resilience building is just as uh, just as important. So anyway, yeah, a PhD in respiratory physiology. I've done uh, some training with uh, Ina Kazan, who is no stranger to the uh, to the listeners of this podcast. Um, with uh, biofeedback, I've done some work with Peter Litchfield, um, trained under him in terms of breathing behavior assessment and analysis. And so um, my yeah, I do, I do, I guess I do a, a number of things. So so we can we can talk lots about that. I'll, I'll stop there for now. Yeah, so let's dive into high functioning. I think you call it high functioning anxiety. Let's so let's let's talk a little bit more. I think I know what you mean by that, but I would love to to hear your your thoughts because uh, I, as I see it, I work with a lot of high performers in the healthcare arena, and woo, there's a lot of burnout and other anxiety flowing around there right now too. But I'd love to get your your thinking about about this concept. Yeah, it, it's interesting. High functioning anxiety is it, it's it's like anxiety. I mean, anxiety itself, by definition, is is an excessive or inappropriate worry or fear about things that are going to happen or that might happen or that, you know, will happen or, you know, any any combination of those things. Um, and it can affect a lot of people uh, differently. But um, it, it's easier to diagnose when someone is really stuck and they can't, uh, you know, they can't get out of the house, for example, you know, like mm -hmm. things like that are very obvious examples. And uh, but but there's a there's a huge, huge subset of people who are the high performers. They're, they're the ones that are out there just killing it day in and day out. But that's on the outside. Right. You know, to all people that, that observe them, that, that you know, that, that you you look at them, they're, you know, they're doing they're, they're super high in their their field. They're doing uh, really well. Like, again, I, you know, I sort of look at myself, um, you know, went through multiple grad school um, education, professor, business owner, all of that kind of thing. And, you know, super successful, but like just dying on the inside, you know, just yeah. just this tornado of of emotional dysregulation and just you know burnout overwhelm fatigue you know basically you know it's go 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 everything's fight or flight um in terms of what you're doing and what you're feeling and then it's it's crash and die at the end mm -hmm. you know so it's uh it, it's those that might not know they have anxiety it's those that maybe they do know they have anxiety, but they're like, ah, I can just, you know, I'm strong enough. I can push it down and I can fight through it. I can, you know, I can be the martyr and the hero for my family, my, my work, you know, my life. But at the end of the day, you know, like I said, they're dying inside and uh, it, it takes a huge toll, not only on their mental health, but as you said, on uh, the potential for burnout and, when they try and rest and relax, they just don't know how. And so they find that, you know, things like lashing out at, at their partner or their kids or their friends for no real reason, you know, because they're just so stuck that they can't get out of it. So um, really good mask on the outside for these guys and uh, turmoil on the inside. So one of the things is you were talking and I see this a lot, uh, you know, in some of the, the high burnout fields and organizations and systems I work with, you know, almost that fight or flight. And I think that's a, this will be a, a little bit of an exaggerated statement, but let me just say it and we'll throw some drama in here because drama is always fun on a Monday for us uh, as we record this. Totally. 
you know, almost that, that I would say that energy is almost rewarded in some workplaces. I, I think about healthcare professionals I work with. The fact that you answer your phone 24-7 not, not actually can help you in your career. Now, it's destroying you in other aspects of your life. But, but you know, I see this, you know, kind of mentality of whether you want to say, like, if you're not burned out, you're not working hard enough, or if you're not on 24-7, you're going to get passed by. But almost like this this reward for this unhealthy behavior. And I, I kind of wonder with these high performers, uh, how do you help them start to maybe let go of some practices that I would imagine at least some of them see as being very central to their professional success in life? It's, that's, it's a great question. Um, everybody triggers and sort of holds on to things in, in, in different ways. So there's no, there's no cut, you know, cut straight answer, um, in, in terms of how this works, but you're absolutely right. You know, in many ways we are rewarded for our perfectionism and our lack of boundaries, you know, and, and it's like, that's exactly what you're talking about. Um, the, the thing about it and what, what becomes a challenge is to try and reframe, that you know that that you don't have these boundaries that you're constantly go 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 reframe that into well can we be more productive in the times where we're being productive and set boundaries so that we can still function as humans which mm-hmm. it, it's a tough t- spill or uh, pill to swallow but um, a really good analogy and and I don't know if this was a myth or is I don't know it was a story I heard somebody told uh, uh, to me a few weeks ago that I thought was really relevant to to what we're talking about here it's uh, the story of two uh, woodcutters and so these woodcutters are um you know they're basically high performers they uh you know they're going out chopping chopping down trees day in day out together right and um the one woodcutter he's like okay i'm gonna work hard and works hard the whole day and and he's doing a great job working hard right the the other woodcutter he'll he'll frequently stop and leave and and it's and and the other would the the one that co- that's constantly going is like what what are you doing like are you not cutting wood are you not doing your job are you not functioning at the level that you're supposed to be doing or whatever and so what what he does is he goes away for a couple hours comes back but then all of a sudden his productivity is like through the roof and he's chopping more trees than the guy that's going constantly and the guy that's going constantly is like well what what is your secret what are you doing you're taking so many breaks and you're not able to like like i'm i can't keep up with you but you're taking all these breaks are you just that much better than i am and uh the guy that takes the breaks he says no i'm going to sharpen my axe mm. yeah so let that sink in a little right this is to me this is exactly the work that needs to happen is that you can go 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 we we know we cannot live and and survive or thrive even in a state of high sympathetic activation all the time yeah our bodies our minds our 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 being just does not work that way what we and we talked about this last time um, when we were talking about the physical Mm -hmm. teaching someone to activate sympathetically as needed and be able to get true deep recovery in between times is massive. And so learning that true deep recovery is like sharpening that ax. 
you know, it's training in the mind gym, it's training in the uh, nervous system gym, where we're training our parasympathetic nervous system to develop the connectivity in the brain and the neuroplasticity to be able to function appropriately as needed. Love it. So how's that? Does that ring a bell? Yeah, absolutely. So what do you think? I know you get these five different sort of areas that, that you focus on. Uh, the, the first being understanding anxiety. Is there any like other guy, we're talking about some of the misconceptions, but are there any other like, I'm not going to ask you to give away the whole, all your insights, but any other kind of big things that you think people are kind of missing when, when it comes to uh, the, their anxiety and how they kind of look at anxiety? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think that um, we, we often think of anxiety as a very cognitive or emotional um, problem or, or, or concern, um, e- even to the point of being diagnosed and diagnosable. I, I think that one of the things that, that people miss is that, first of all, anxiety is there for a reason, for, first of all. That's, I think that's one thing to understand is that anxiety can be absolutely productive. It can be helpful. It can be that that cognitive workload that allows you to perform at a high level. It's, it's that activation, being ready. You know, if we if we weren't stressed and anxious about anything in our life, we'd be we'd be super comfortable. We wouldn't accomplish anything, right? right? So I think that little bit of stress and anxiety is 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 valid. And so if that's if that's the case, then it's not necessarily that there's you know a diagnosable like anxiety. I mean, I know we do this, but you know, like I have generalized anxiety disorder. I've been diagnosed with that. But often what that means is that you know, I, I just, my anxiety responses are a bit out of control, right? So it's, it's a malleable thing. It's something that we can change and, and harness the, really the power of our responses and understanding and teaching people about their responses uh, with anxiety and what that actually looks like. And as part of that is understanding that it's not always, and in most cases, you, you could say that it's never exclusively cognitive, mm-hmm. that there is almost always an emotional physiological tie. And mm-hmm. so this is the work that I'm doing. And again, I'm not a, a mental, mental uh, therapist. Um, I work in physiology and I work in, uh, in the body and in, in somatic work from a very science-based perspective, which of course where, is where biofeedback comes in. And the power of understanding and connecting your mind to your body to understand what your anxiety is and why it happens and reframing that as this is your body getting ready to fight or flight or eventually freeze, you know, um, and, and, and you just can't sustain that. So I think there's a, a big part of the education that says, you know what, this is just an excessive normal response that needs to be kind of harnessed in a bit by understanding what your body's doing and then also understanding that you know you can change the state of your body which then changes the state of your mind and that is where i've found success way more often going that direction change your body first change your physiology first to then change your emotions and your cognitive and your thoughts Versus trying to use your thoughts to change, because we know that that's not often super effective, that we usually have to bring the body in. 
Well, I, I love this conversation because like my training is the exact, uh, it's more the, the, the top, I guess top down, I think would be probably appropriate is how do you think about, how do you reframe, how, how do you, I mean, that's kind of cognitive behavioral therapy in a lot of ways is that sort of top down. I don't disagree with you at all. And a lot of my conclusions are at least psychology needs to come up with a better balance of the two. And so this is why I love these conversations with you. And it kind of leads me to my next question is, as somebody who who focuses more bottom up, even though I know, I mean, I'm looking at your list, we, we have some things to cover here that are bring in the mind and you don't ignore that anyway. Where, where, because I, I'm sure that when people, you, people you've worked with or people you, you're, you're going to work with as you launch this program out, uh, might, might be struggling with a diagnosable level of anxiety and where from your perspective, uh, kind of, let's just, let's just put ourselves in two different camps for the joy of the podcast as looking at body up and helping that with the mind. Where do you think sort of uh, medication might come into this? Um, I, it's it's always a, a push pull in psychology. We know I've seen medication just be life saving and life changing for some folks, and I've also seen it be thrown around like candy uh, by people who may not have a whole lot of training in you know what what's really going on or what anxiety even is. So I would love from that body first kind of perspective if if you're okay with just being in our two different camps for fun. How, how do you, when we might you suggest somebody uh, might go see somebody where you think they could benefit from uh, uh, psychotropic medication? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I, I'm going to first acknowledge that. I mean, first of all, that is a, a an amazing question and a super important one. I am not anti-medication. I am not pro-medication. I am um, someone who, believes that if you have a need for medication and you take medication and it helps you that that's a positive thing um i i am not a psychologist psychiatrist physician i do not give advice on on medication in terms of using not using that sort of mm -hmm. thing um having said that there is there is absolutely a place for it um the again i think it's an individual response and individual diagnostic criteria that would go into determining whether someone would uh, would need or or would benefit from from medication um i'll be honest i am on i am on medication i have been for a number of years and has it changed it here and there um and it it was prior to me knowing a lot about what I do know now in terms of uh, uh, the psychophysiology of, of anxiety and, and our physiological responses, uh, the, you know, I, I did take it and it had a big impact. It, I'd be interesting. It's, it would be interesting to me just as a personal, a personal uh, anecdotal, you know, end of one study to, to go back in time and say, well, what if I did some of the work now physiologically, would I have needed the medication? I don't know the answer to that. And I actually right. don't think that that's an important question to try and answer. I, I think we, we do what we can Mm -hmm. um to to help in ways that we in ways that we can so i think there can be a very much a synergistic approach to 
the psychology and cognitive behavioral therapy to the uh, the pharmacology to the physiological coaching work and and so you know looking at the top down bottom up I I don't think it's one or the other sometimes I think there's a bit of a there's a bit of a you know temporal arrangement that that many people need the the bottom up before they can really address the top down. Mm. Um, sometimes it can be simultaneous and that, and sometimes it's with medication. Sometimes it's not. Uh, the medication side, of course, uh, you know addresses both the top down and the bottom up because it is changing your body's chemistry, um, your brain chemistry, which can be powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so it, it, it's a, it's a big, it depends answer, but uh, um, hope, hopefully there's a bit more context to, to the, it depends than uh, just, just sloughing it off. Yeah. And I always, from the, the psychological perspective, again, I'm not pro or anti, I, I, like I said, I've seen it, you know, especially working on the severe end of things, you, you find the right mix of medications and it can literally be life-saving for folks. And so there's no way I'm ever going to be anti, but I've also seen other people I've worked with that are just on like all these medications, like it's one on top of another. And it's like, I almost got to dig in through the medication to find the the person underneath all that. And it is to me, it's like, okay, what else are you doing? Like, like what, what are we doing to help address the underlying issues? Cause I think in, you know, at least American medicine, Sometimes the medicine is the answer. And I, I don't know if it's designed, it's not designed necessarily to heal um, with that. That's where I think you see the cognitive behavioral and medication piece to this. Th that's where we seem to see the, the really good results. And the, the other two uh, pieces here, which I think we talked a lot about, but I want to make sure, I don't want to skip over these because I know you and I both love uh, nervous system regulation and the power of breathing. Because those are two things I, I think any physician or psychiatrist that has somebody willing to do this should also be talking about uh, these things uh, as well. So I, I'm assuming with your bio, your passion for biofeedback and training, um, what we've already talked about, about nervous system regulation, uh, anything you would add when you think about the Stoic Tiger program, how these uh, concepts are integrated in, like I said, knowing that we, we've already discussed this in some good detail already. Yeah, it's, it's huge. It, to me, it's, it, you know, the, again, I, I'm not going to, I'm going to take the bottom up approach with this. And, and I mean, that that's my training, right? That's my, mm -hmm. my training is from a bottom up perspective. Yeah. Um, and I highly value those like yourself that are in the top down training um, side of things because they're, they're, they can be so synergistic. Um, so the mindset, I think, around how to change here is, is one that can incorporate both, but it really addresses the fact, A, first of all, we can change. Our neuroplasticity is powerful, right? Mm -hmm. We are not stuck in the circumstances where we are now. We have the ability to change our circumstances. We have the ability to change our physiology and to change our nervous system responses. And that is powerful. Yeah. So understanding how to do that is where a lot of the challenge comes. And it's not as simple as just thinking yourself better. I can't think, oh, I'm going to, I have anxiety. Okay. So I'm going to try and change that. Great. Good mindset. Right. But it's not as simple as that. You have to break it down 
into looking at the nervous system because as we know, our body, our nervous systems respond way quicker than our cognitive processing of what we're experiencing, right? Mm -hmm. So by the time it gets to the level of a thought, it's way too late, right? Because we've already experienced the fear yeah. that, uh, that causes the fight or the flight, right? So by then our thoughts have transformed. Right. And that's a lot of what anxiety is. And, and I, I say this sometimes to some people because I think it's relevant in certain cases. I don't want it to be conflated that this is like the be all and end all. But I often say our anxiety is thoughts that lie to us. Right? Mm. And it's because our body and, and our processing of what's going on in our nervous systems, the, the interpretation of that is flawed because we've learned through life life experiences, adverse childhood experiences, trauma, any combination of a number of things to process our physiology in an inappropriate way, mm. because it would have been appropriate had there been a lion chasing us, right? Or we're yeah. trying to fight something off. That's appropriate responses. But often, you know, these, we, these things get stuck, right? As we know, we, the, these yeah. traumas, these events, these, you know, the feelings, the emotions get stuck and, and we interpret a fight or flight sensation like, you know, oh, I'm going to lose my life or, you know, I better start fighting or, or whatever's going to happen. Right. So we get that fear around that, even if cognitively that's not, you know, the level that we're at, that's the level that our nervous system is at. So I talk a lot about the concepts of threat and safety related to the nervous system and, you know, really looking at uh, the balance of sympathetic, parasympathetic. Um, I bring in polyvagal theory with all of its uh, beautiful aspects and some of yeah. its flaws. And, you know, I think that there's, uh, there, there's a lot of story that can be told around understanding why things are happening by understanding what's going on with our nervous system. That's step one. Step two, after you understand what's happening and you really, truly feel it's not it's not good enough to understand it cognitively or to read it in a, in a book or to listen to a yeah. video or this podcast or whatever. Well, this podcast would you. be enough, Scotty. Let's let's be clear on that. This this podcast is absolutely amazing, Matt. I love you. <laughs> and I love you guys. And this is awesome. Yep. And I know you're joking, but no, it's not. You got to feel it, man. You got to feel it in your soul, right? You got to feel it in your body. And no, I really sorry. I just had to, I just had to throw that in there. <laughs> I know. Oh yeah. I know you're a, you're a clown, man. I know. I know. In, in, in the best possible way. Uh, thank um, you. Yeah. So um, not enough anyway. to read a book, enough to listen to this podcast, but not everybody's listened to all 130 episodes at this point. So I'll sure, let you continue that thought that I yeah. rudely interrupted. <laughs> so good. Um, it's I, I really think that you got to feel it, right? You got to yeah. feel what that means for you and tie in your emotional cognitive responses, your thoughts in with what you are feeling, because it's going to be different for everybody, right? Even the, even the location that people feel it in the body is different. That's one of the questions that I ask people right at the very beginning of my program is, is where do you feel your stress and anxiety? Oh, you get that. everything from, you know, between the eyes, to between yeah. the ears, to the back of the neck, to the throat, to the chest, to the shoulders, to the stomach, to the pelvic floor, to the toes, like it's just yeah. everywhere, right? Because everybody processes it differently. But I think it's an important thing to, to help people recognize, again, that there is some physiology that's going on here that you feel it mm -hmm. somewhere in your body and that there is something going on there. So 
that being step one, step two is to learn how to change it. And, and to, to, to know that when you're changing it, you're not just doing breathing exercises, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I had one client early on in my work doing this where I, I didn't make that connection well enough. And, and he said to me, dude, what are we doing? We're just, we're just doing the breathing exercises. Yeah. And it, it reminded me that, yeah, a lot of what we do is around using the breath as the, as the bridge between the body and the mind or the bridge between the, the, you know, the brain and the lungs, if you want to look at it that way. And it, it's, you know, it's, it's a really powerful method of doing that, but you have to put it into context. You have to have the individual to, to have the, the mindset to know that they're trying to change their physiology. It's like going to the gym to build up muscles. You know, if you're not going to understand why you're doing it, you're not going to continue to do it. Right. So the context there is super, super important. So I tie in things like what, what are your life goals? You know, what would your life look like without anxiety? What would your, you know, what would you be able to do, you know, that you can't do now or that you're having troubles with? And we tie that in by going, okay, well, we use these exercises and these techniques like breathing and, and engaging the vagus nerve and, and uh, harnessing the parasympathetic nervous system. We do that so that people can come out of that fight or flight and really learn how to be present. And this is yeah. where the, the stoicism side of the stoic tiger for me is a philosophy that relates to the practice of mindfulness. And I, I think that they're not one in the same, but there is a, a huge overlap and relationship there that what you're doing by working physiologically, if you have the right mindset, what you're doing is you're doing it stoically and you're doing it with mindfulness in mind, being present in the present moment and being aware of what's happening. I love that. I love that. And obviously support all, all of that in, in big, big ways. And so the the other thing that, that I, I guess one that kind of I really was fascinated to ask you about was the exposure therapy piece of the program. So talk to me about that, because I, one, I, I, I got to ask Scotty about this uh, as somebody who obviously you have a, a tremendous amount of uh information, learning about the psychological aspects of anxiety as well. Where, you know, in a, for our listeners, uh, we've had some great podcasts with Nate Ingman um, and his work he's doing around uh, biofeedback and exposure therapy. So I'd love to, to get your idea about how this fits in into the program. Yeah, it's it's a crucial part of it. Again, I, I always, you know, being being a physiotherapist and a strength training advocate, and you know, I, I always I always use that analogy is that you know you, you need exposure to the things that cause you the challenges, mm -hmm. right? The reason for that is like you're going to the gym. Well, your body adapts when you present it with the challenge that that it's trying to adapt to so in the gym we give people resistance we give them weight to push against we give them you know a, a fast treadmill you know sort of speed and incline to get their heart rate up and challenge their body right it's about it's about the challenge because you can't i mean there's, there's one aspect that's super important early on and the, and the exposure therapy is later in the program yeah 
because you do need to know how to come out of it, right? And that's where the parasympathetic side comes in. Yeah. But the exposure therapy side is like the resistance training of going to the gym. It's providing a challenge that's relevant to the individual in a slow, progressive manner. You start off with easy challenges and you build up to, to harder and harder challenges and finding success is huge. But what you do is you train them to be exposed to that challenge and can they, first of all, do it? Um, can they stay regulated? And then when you remove the, the exposure, can they come back down into a good parasympathetic state, um, a rest and digest state quickly, right? So it's, it's and, and I will literally use exercise as an exposure challenge before mm. I'll do a lot of the, the, the cognitive and emotional ones, because it gives them that, that training of how to do this so that, you know, if they do an interval, let's say they do a, a fast sprint or run up the stairs two or three times and then try and stop and come into a parasympathetic state, what they're doing is they're training themselves to go into challenge, come out of it and be like, okay, how well can I re-regulate before I go to do that again? All right, so that's a good learning process. That's a good cognitive development process that then you take to the next challenge. So if the next challenge is thinking about a trigger rather than going anywhere near it, but maybe they're thinking about it, right? Okay, so let's get you to think about it. Put yourself in that mental visual state. I do a lot of visualization too, because I, I, there's awesome. some power around that. Put that into the visual visualization side of things and um, and then put yourself there, right? And yeah. then can you regulate? Can you keep it back? Then get rid of it and come right back down to rest. And then let's do it again and so on and so forth. So it's, um, you know, I, I recognize this is borrowed from cognitive behavioral therapy and the ideas around that. And, uh, um, you know, depending on where people are going with that, this is where I do like to partner with uh, with psychologists and and uh, um, people training counseling because then they can help with with what what does that top end look like? I love that. I love that, and I, I love. I, I I guess maybe it's just not how I thought about that that bottom up approach of using physical exertion as almost training the nervous system for exposure to psychological stressors. Like I love that. I love that. That's. Uh, boy, I'm going to nerd out about that for about the next five days. So I appreciate uh, giving me my most recent obsession. Uh, so let's talk about the growth mindset, because boy, do you go into this in uh, spectacular uh, detail here. 15 point detail, in fact, uh, in this. So I'm a huge fan of uh, Carol Dweck's uh, work around the growth mindset. And I obviously can't can't say enough about it, but um, I, I'd love to get your thinking uh, with this as I, you know, uh, wh wh where does this bring in uh, to, to the, the, the program, especially around anxiety? Yeah, it's to me, it's it's that it, it's that neuroplasticity side of things. I mean, it's, uh, you know, yeah, there's a lot of points there. And there's a lot of there's a lot of things you can talk about. But to me, it's actually fairly straightforward, not not to say it's easy. That's not yeah. what I'm saying. I'm not saying that it's easy, but it is straightforward. It, it, it is about understanding at a true, deep, personal level that you are capable of growth, mm -hmm. that you are not where you are and that there's a reason for that because that's who you are. It's yeah. that, you know, you don't have the skills yet 
right? I love saying this. Like yeah. someone says, well, I can't do this. Okay. You can't do that yet. Yet. Yeah. But could that. you, if you applied yourself in the right way with the right help and the right training and that, you know, and, and some people will say, well, I wouldn't ever do that. Okay, cool. Well, that's fine. That's not an area where you want to focus. But if you're thinking about something that you do want to change, and this is why coming back to, you know, really what, what do they want out of their life? I, I actually ask my clients, um, what is their personal, personal mission? Yeah, it's a question that I always get people, you know, with the question marks above their head going, going, what do you even mean by that? And, yeah, you know, I, I think it's huge because if you look at if you look at the things that are holding you back and the difference between where you are now and where you could be in terms of your personal mission, then that that disconnect is just about the things that you haven't done yet. Mm. It's not about that you can't. It's not about that you're not capable. You know, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, of really trying to dream bigger than you even think is possible. And so if you think, well, I'm, I'm stuck in anxiety and I don't know how I'm ever going to get out, that is the obstacle that you need to go through, right? And this is, you know, so, so I think the growth mindset fits also well, super, super well with the concept of stoicism. There's two, mm -hmm. there's two um, uh, stoic tenets that, that really come into that. One is uh, the concept of a memento mori. And this is where I use um, when I think of personal mission. It's a uh, memento mori is literally, you could leave this life right now. And that's not supposed to be morbid. It's not supposed to right. be like, oh, well, nothing matters. It, it, it's mean, meaning to say that you actually have the opportunity to live your life the way that you want it. Right. So, so Marcus Aurelius um, coined that phrase and he, and he, uh, he says, you, you could leave life right now. Um, so let that dictate what you think, what you say and what you do. Yeah. And, and that principle of, of stoicism is like, okay, well, if, if I could leave right life right now, am I, if I were to look back on my life, am I at the place that I want to be? Well, do mm -hmm. I want to be an anxious person? Well, right. no, I don't want to feel this, this overcoming anxiety. So or this overwhelming anxiety. So what do I have to do to overcome? Right. And, and it sort of pushes them forward. The second tenant is uh, one of my favorites. It's the obstacle is the way. And this is a very, we talked a lot about Star Wars and our, our mutual yeah. love for the geekiness of, uh, yes. of, of this world. And, you know, it, literally it's, that is one of the biggest things that, that, uh, um, that, that, people go through when they're learning about the force and you know be, to become a jedi is is learning that the obstacle is the way and mm -hmm. um you know that's one of the uh stoic tendencies or uh, tenants that i i really really think is important here is that you know if it, the anxiety that you're feeling is in your way you have to address that and you can address that and you can do so successfully and that is the way forward to lead a different life yeah love that so let, let me ask you as we talk about this, because I, I it's always a challenge or so I guess maybe an awareness that that I think can be difficult because I, I think it's a more of an and than an either or, but it it's on a spectrum at the same time. And that's anxiety sometimes can be one, it can be, hey, I've gone through stuff in my life I'm bringing sort of narratives or a nervous system depending on which which fun piece if we're going to be in our camps we could argue about you know uh, that i need to change i need to strengthen my vagal nerve i need to uh reframe my thought processes 
but I also may be in a incredibly dysfunctional work environment or in a terrible marriage or, you know, another, I don't want to go to the trauma side of things. Cause I think that can be, Hey, if you're in a war zone, anxiety can keep you alive. And we want you to be on the edge of fight or flight because you may need that at any time. So outside of that situation, I look at what's happening like in modern healthcare here. And we know the system is destroying its workforce. Uh, uh, not the individual sort of, you know, maladaptive response. There's just too much stress in the system. So I kind of wonder, like if you find someone in, uh, let's say a high stress, high anxiety environment, whatever that might be. I'll let you, you can pick your example as I used healthcare. You know, how do you maybe approach that a little differently? How does that inform your thinking? Because there is almost a survival component to working in these kind of high stress fields, which we are. A, a part of so just kind of wondering uh how that informs your thinking around how, how am i a stoic tiger if i'm working in american healthcare, which is an absolute train wreck of burnout right now yeah i was going to say something else other than train wreck it uh started with shit and then i am uh, there you go yes it, it is it is i bear witness to it every yeah. day <laughs> yeah um it, it's you know it, it's a different range of things, but the process is still the same. You know, like I said, anxiety is is a very useful and, you know, from a survival perspective, you took, take somebody in, you know, in an operating room, emergency room sort of environment, yeah. something where things are constant, you know, like there, there is high stress to that. I think what it is, is it, the, the training is is still the same. It's still, you know, you have to engage the parasympathetic nervous system and know how to do that. That is, that is a crucial first step before, before you start uh, doing that. Now, you know, I, I always say it's like your external environment is, is what it is. And yes, there are circumstances where you can change that. You can quit mm -hmm. your job, you can leave your marriage, you can, you know, but I never, obviously I'm not ever saying those things to, to individuals. Right. Um, you know, if they come to that decision is that's the right thing. Well then, you know, that's, that can be part of the process, but um, it's, you know, like I, I help, what I help people do is I help people work with their current circumstances and learn a few things. They learn, physiological regulation, how to get out of that fight or flight, get into rest and digest in a true relaxed way. Because let's, let's face it, yes, you know, outside of the 24-7, I'm in a war zone, I have to be always on guard. Right. You know, yes, you have a high stress job, but how, how many hours of the day is that high stress job? It might be 12, right? But most people don't have more than that. Some do. That's, you know, you understand that. But the point is, is that you know, you're going to be at that high stress a lot of the time. You can use the off time, first of all, again, as a preliminary step, use the off time to develop that rest and digest parasympathetic vagal nerve response. That's a training that you can do. And that's a training that I think you should do in that case, because you're not supposed to be in the high stress environment and just being all zen, right? right. It's not about that. It's about being able to engage appropriately. And, you know, if you listen to uh, Stephen Porges talking about polyvagal theory, 
that it's, you know, it, is it safe mobilization or is it unsafe mobilized, mm -hmm. right? And so I think you can activate the sympathetic nervous system and use your vagal, uh, your ventral vagal system, which is the safe um, parasympathetic nervous system, the more social one. And if you can engage those at the same time, then you're, you're highly activated, but you're also regulated and you're in control yeah. versus just being so far out there that you're just go, 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 go. And you don't know how to come down. Right. So, so there's, there's some concepts around that. And I, I do think that even within, you know, a 12 hour work day in an emergency room or something that's go, 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 you still have micro moments that you can take to, to learn intervention. And so, you know, you go to wash your hands. That might be a 10 second point of time where you can intervene in a mindful manner and engage the parasympathetic nervous system to really help regulate when you do go up into that fight or flight again. So fight or flight, as we said, is not a bad thing. It's just when we're up there all the time yeah. and it's unregulated that that becomes the bad thing. So it's, you know, it's, it's about learning that regulation. And like I said, I think it, it really, in my experience, it really starts with learning the parasympathetic when you can do that as like you're training in the gym, you're training the mind gym. And then when you go to apply that in whatever circumstances you're in, you have the better ability because it's a stronger response. You have a better ability to apply that when you're in fight or flight and in between those bouts of fight or flight where you have the opportunity to just take a moment and come back down. Awesome. Awesome. Love that. So a little rapid fire questions here for you. Where does, I mean, we talked a lot about, about your work with physical health, working out, uh, uh, strength Jedi. I believe I still have that, uh, uh, you know, your branding well, but it, it, it stays up here. Uh, like, I, I'm sure this figures in, but I kind of wonder how it figures in as somebody who might find you looking for more of to improve mental functioning, cognitive functioning, where I'm sure this discussion comes in uh, fairly quickly. So how do you broach that? How do you connect that to um, not just feeling better, healthier, lifting more weights? But but connect that with anxiety uh, as well. I'm just going to throw a, a a slow pitch right over the plate for you to hit out here, my friend. Yeah, it's it's all the same. It's it's like honestly, high performance in whatever capacity you look at it is. I mean, it's the same thing. It's about engaging the the your activation, your sympathetic nervous system in a regulated way, you know, and knowing how to come out of that. And whether you're talking about someone who's a uh, you know, has to perform on stage to someone that, uh, you know, has to take high pressure sales calls all the time or, yeah, you know, or uh, the executive that has to make really, really important life changing decisions on a regular basis that they can get super high stress. You want to perform well, you need mm -hmm. focus, you need the yeah. ability to uh, the ability to regulate because we know when you aren't regulated, when you're in constant fight or flight, you basically it's like flipping your lid. Right. You know, like if you think of you think of your, you know, your sort of main part of your old school brain versus your your cortex. Right. Yeah. You know, when you're in fight or flight, you flip your lid. Right. This Peter Levine's concept yeah. right, in somatic experiencing. And it's you know, you, you don't think in the same way. So if you're in constant fight or flight and you're trying to think at a high performance level, it's not going to happen to the level that you want. 
So you need to be able to come back down and know how to come back down and to and to stay in a well-regulated state to be able to make those decisions, those thoughts, and perform at that high level. Again, sports, executives, you know, and, and for those that with anxiety, sometimes it's about like, can I actually go outside? Or yeah. how do I feel like being around people? You know, so it, it's all of it's the same concept. It's just, you know, different range of things and different examples. Awesome. So heart rate variability in this. Uh, weirdly, we haven't really mentioned it, but everything we've been talking about up to this point is connected to HRV. So obviously with the biofeedback work you do, going to be big in there. Um, how else is a heart rate variability informing uh, the Stoic Tiger program? Yeah, so I, I use it for two two very distinct purposes. Um, related, of course. Um, I use the Optimal HRV app, which is was fantastic for two things. Well, it's fantastic for many things, but the two things that I really use it for, one is baseline tracking. Mm -hmm. So looking at uh, what happens day to day to day to day. And what's the, the beauty of um, the Optimal um, HRV app, which is different than a lot of the other apps that are out there, is that it gives you multiple metrics of, of HRV. Right. So, I mean, a lot of them will will spew out the probably the RMSSD as their main one, uh, maybe SDNN, uh, maybe the max minus min. You've got all three there and then you flip it over to the frequency domain and mm -hmm. you can break it into the very low, low and high frequency domains to really get a better sense of partitioning, which parts of the nervous system might be well-regulated or, you know, whether the vagus break is on, whether it's responding appropriately, those sort of things. So I love that in terms of looking at your, your sort of on the spot level of things, whether that be first thing in the morning, which is I get what, where I get my clients to do that is they, they'll put on the, the wrist strap or the forearm strap and, or uh, sometimes a chest Polish chest strap, but I, I really like your, your uh, forearm straps, um, super easy to put on. And, you know, like they, you know, they don't have to take off their shirt to get, yeah. you know, to get it on. <laughs> so it's good that way. Anyway, um, you know, they'll do that first thing in the morning, they'll get a good five minute reading, and I can track that and I get them to look at uh, if, if there is a, a big deviation. Why is that? What happened yesterday? What's happening today? Are yeah. there any, you know, any high stress things going on? Did you have a late meal? Were you drinking a lot of alcohol the day before, you know, and, and just kind of thinking about those things. And so we can track over time, what some of the triggers are and uh, see if we can identify those. The second thing that I use it for, of course, is the biofeedback features of it. And again, you know, there, there, I have yet to find an app that does as good of a job as, as uh, the Optimal app does in terms of setting automatically uh, with, with good guidance, the resonance frequency. So being able to figure out exactly what that resonance frequency is. I talk about it as the optimal load for training is what I tell my clients is what yeah. we're trying to do here. So we're finding the optimal load, the optimal way of training. that's going to give them the biggest swing in their, in their heart rate response. So they get the biggest heart rate variability and, and then to actually train it. And the, again, the beauty of it is that I can see that they, they do that on the app and I see that on my end and I can look at the quality of their training. I can look at it minute to minute 
and look at the frequency response or the RMSSD or whatever I want to look at and look at, okay, well here, you know, your Vegas break didn't really look like it was engaged yeah. fully, took a little bit of while for you to settle in, but look at this high frequency, you know, maybe you change your breathing a little bit. Oh, here's the meditator's peak and low frequency. This was a really good one. They can reflect then back on their practice and go, yeah, you know, I was just focused on whatever. My dog woke me up early and or my kid, <laughs> I was stressed about my kids. So it took me a little while to get into it. Um, or the flip side of that is like, oh, they had a great practice. And then the last five minutes was, was not good. It's like, yeah. yeah, you know, I was, I was focused on what I had to do next, or, you know, somebody was starting to interrupt me or whatever. And so you get them to tie these things in and they, 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 this is the beauty of this that ties back to what we were talking about earlier in the, in this show, Matt, is that, you know, tying that psychological, emotional side of things in with the physiology, they have the data in front of them that they can mm -hmm. see that goes, oh, so that's what happened to my physiology when this happened? Yeah. Okay. And it makes it makes a lot more sense to them. And it's and, and for me, it's easy as a practitioner and as a coach to look at that and go, right, that right there is what you were feeling when this happened, right? So next time, let's do this, right? Let's try it this way and see what happens. So it's a it's a fantastic tool that I'm using. Um, and, and having a lot of really good success with my clients to show them their physiology, because that's a big part of it. And that's what biofeedback is. Awesome. Uh, last question before we tell people where to get more information. Stoic Tiger, brother. Uh, one, you have great art on what you sent me. It is beautiful art. So I, I, I got to know where you got that and where did you come up with this uh, amazing name well you know what we before we start we hit record we were talking about the downfalls of ai the artwork is ai i was wondering that because it, it is spectacular yeah. it is it's, uh, it's yes. fantastic yeah you know it's amazing what you can do and then you know i even though ai created i take credit for it you know skynet's out in the world think or listening to me say that and going like okay well here's here's the first guy that's going to get terminated you know? <laughs> um, I, i'm thinking yeah. us who do good prompts will be the last to go that's what i hope okay it's the okay. people that can write in good prompts and it'll value until we're not needed anymore either <laughs> yeah that's true that's a good point Stoic Tiger. So I've talked about stoicism and why that comes mm -hmm. in. To me, stoicism and the force and mindfulness, like the force actually literally from Star Wars, the force, you know, to me, there's just so much of a relationship there. So I had to throw that in there. I didn't want to say the mindful tiger because that was just too on point. But mm -hmm. but I, I again, the stoicism philosophies really, really resonate with me with growth mindset and you know, and, and the, the mindfulness piece of what I'm doing. Tiger is actually from, uh, from the yin yang concept of uh, tiger versus dragon in old uh, Chinese Buddhist um, mm -hmm. uh, philosophy, which I, I'm not going to profess to be an expert on, um, but um, I really resonate with the concept of the tiger as a protector, um, as the yin side of, uh, of the yin yang. Um, and tigers are just freaking cool. Like they, yeah. they are, they are freaking cool animals that, uh, that represent protection. Internal protection is why I'm using it in this program. Um, I was born in the year of a tiger. I have a tiger on my arm as a tattoo. <laughs> um, tigers are just badass, to be honest. So hopefully you don't have to bleep that out. 
No, I, I totally agree. Tigers are badass. And so is your uh, AI art here. Uh, so I, I just love it too, because there's, I, I think we we almost as an industry of mindfulness can sometimes oversell almost a withdrawal. Like you're, 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 you're not, you're, you're not energetic in some ways. And I may not be verbal, but that's what I like about both your art, your program and the name is like, you're still bringing that energy into your life, especially as, you know, high performers, the, the goal isn't to not be a high performer anymore. It's actually to perform even better uh, while living a better life. And I, I, that's why I love the name. I love the, the AI art that you sent me uh, and everything about the program. Uh, so just too long to be called a brochure, but uh, like I said, more of man manifesto, uh, like almost a chapter of a book. Uh, I, I would throw that out there, but I'm really excited about this program. So if folks are listening to this, uh, where, where can they find out? And we'll put links in the show notes, but if somebody's just driving along, what, what can we start to plant seeds of where uh, folks can find out more information about this? Awesome. Thank, thanks for all that, Matt. I really appreciate the comments and I, I feel strongly about it too, because it is my passion. It's my life work now. So it's, uh, you know, I, I really believe in it and and there's there's a reason for everything. So that's yeah. awesome. Um, easiest place to find me is on Instagram at the stoic tiger. Everything else can go from there. So just reach out. You can DM me, follow me. Um, and uh, I'm happy to talk you through the process. If you're wondering about the program or you just want some more information or or you just want some some information on some cool stuff, I'll throw in some funny videos here and there. At least I think they're funny. My kids think they're cringy, but, you know, that happens. Well, I, I will say uh, there are so few reasons I ever want to get on social media. And your videos are one of those very few reasons I want to get on social media. So uh, yeah, especially Instagram, which uh, yeah, uh, you are the reason I go on Instagram. Uh, you and Sasha, <laughs> our other good friend, uh, uh, do a great yeah. job on that. And uh, I, I aspire to, to be better. And you're a great role model for that. So we'll put some more information, uh, that link, everything else uh, in the show notes. Uh, you can find all that at optimalhrv.com. Uh, Scotty, my friend, I could nerd out with you uh, for at least another three to four hours. Uh, I got Star Wars questions. I want to know how whales travel at ultra light speed. I, I need help with some of the, yeah, I, I, we need to have a conversation about some of this stuff. But it, it's so uh, great to work with you. Uh, I just feel like uh, you're you're a brother in this work, and uh, it's an honor to work with you. And uh, I can't wait uh, for for our next episode together. Feelings mutual, Matt. I appreciate you. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week.